And we're back. Have you ever taken out a co-record? No. I've tried to. I, I know there have been like... There... I, I can think of two... In, three in particular cases where I was supposed to write something with someone. Four. Four cases I was supposed to write with someone. One, it was someone else's idea. It was a kid's script. It was like a family movie years and years ago. And he asked me to come on and work on the third act for him. I did. And he had mixed reactions to what I did with it. And it was kind of different territory for me. But I just kind of just dissolved. Second one uh, was a Bigfoot movie. Um, nothing just really happened with that. That just kind of dissolved on its own. Like, I don't know. The other guy wasn't as into it. I was never really into it. I just... We thought we could make it, and then it just didn't happen. Third one, <laughs> um, she, it was a Christmas horror film. Didn't happen because I think I laughed at one of her other screenplays. You know the story. <laughs> and you guys broke up. And the, well, no, we never, <laughs> we never even dated. Like she was just some. But you desperately tried to. It's not about me, Paul. <laughs> Let's uh, rewrite that. How too. long ago was that? That was years ago, Fuck. before you were a married man. <laughs> Before your heart belonged to another, oh. beyond me. <laughs> I only have eyes for you, Paul. Um, no, you and I co-wrote something. I don't know if you remember. What did we co-write? You really don't remember, dude? What was it? Uh, dicks. Oh, shite! Yeah, I man. forgot about that. You yeah. and I, I was just thinking that you and I, I think you are the only successful co-writer I've ever had. I literally didn't think about it until I was like, oh, four. You're number four, man. We... We're supposed to do a buddy cop web series. Yes. And um, I think it was just like us saying, I had done eight thirteen a zombie web series, and I was kind of weird, kind of was kind of done with it. And you were kind of thinking we should get into the web series game, or you want to get into the web series game. Yeah. And then I just happened, you know, I love the Lethal Weapon films and buddy cop movies in general, which I had never seen. You had never seen, and somehow we just started a conversation about it, or maybe I showed you a movie. I don't know. Something happened. You're like. Let's do Buddy Cop. I don't know, it just the idea just kind of birthed. And then I just started showing you the world of the Buddy Cop movies. Do you mind, do you mind if I interject about how, how it came about, I guess? Yeah, go ahead. I don't remember. Really okay, first off, we both have excellent memories. I feel when you're a writer-director, your memories must be very sharp. Oh, yeah. Um, for some reason, I'm, I'm going to say that I might be the only person that who has a slightly better memory than you. Really? Yes. Dude, I don't know. Besides dicks, forgetting I re- that. I remember shit, man. Uh, are we? <laughs> but I, I think what happened with this was um, we were, you know, I forgot. <laughs> uh, see, no, no, no. Shit, what happened was what, what it was hap- what happened was we it was it was it was night the Oscars actually. We were leaving an Oscar party and we were talking about just how we desperately want to make it. And um, Mondo was was coming off a very successful run on the web series where he won a few awards for the show 813, and um, I was like, well, I'm not writing anything, because there was this weird point in, in time where I just wasn't as motivated, and I had to take care of real life before I can dwell back into fiction, yeah. but I wanted to, you know, keep going at something, so we decided to do a web series, and um, Mondo just had this, I, I, I think you just had the idea, it was just roaming in your brain, and you just didn't know what to do with it about um, two guys, two slackers, who don't know what to do with their lives and become private tech detectives. Oh, fuck, I remember this now, man. It's starting to come back to me. Yeah. yeah. I was like, because, no, I think I saw a commercial about, like, one of those online courses, how you can get certified 
to do certain jobs. One of them was private investigator. Mm-hmm. I was like, just imagine two people who like just wanted jobs and, and they just saw that thing. They took the online course and got certified as PIs. Yeah. That was kind of how it started. I totally remember that. And and for me, it, once he said that, it just was a perfect thing for... Because, Keyword slacker. Yeah, slacker. And I was... It was... I it was I feel like 26 is a terrible age for everybody. I think... Yeah, we were that age. I think you and I were both not working at the time. Yeah, we weren't working. We were slacking off. We were trying Collecting to figure unemployment. out what... We were trying to figure out what to do. I was on welfare, actually. Were you really? My dad made me get on welfare for no a month before way. I found a job. My I'm so embarrassed job. to say it, but yeah, that was... Like, I think for about a year. Yeah. Maybe two. I'm not going to lie. I was on unemployment. Just kind of... Because I wanted to write full-time. Yeah. That's what it was. We were writing full-time. Or I believe well, I was. Well, I, I, I was trying to figure out where life was going. Yeah. So, I... You talk about how personal everything is with writing, and, and I, I put so much of that into... Into the into the script, a lot of it was very. It was it was a funny show mm-hmm. from what we wrote, and it, it it ended up getting into some great. We even too. casted it, man. We had our actors and everything. Yeah. We told them about it. They were all jazzed about it. If anybody would like to see this, we will do a a Kickstarter and get this thing going. Yeah, what what was the idea? It was two guys, two slackers, yeah. who get their um, private investigator certification online with an online course. And decided to start their own company as PIs. Yes. And set in like a it's like small town, like not not super small town, but like kind of a suburb. Yeah. And they take on cases like. And they work out of their garage. Mickey Mouse. They work out of the garage. That's their office. And um, there is like this big shot PI in town, and we were going to cast this uh, Australian actor we know mm-hmm. to play that part. Like just kind of like this jazzy, badass, flashy PI that's really well known and respected by the police and everyone else. And these two guys just keep fucking up and, like, getting in the way of the police. End up breaking the law more than upholding the law, it seems like. And the P.I., their rival, was involved with the... Cartel. Don. The cartel. We were going to get Danny Trejo to be the cartel person. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, we were, like, we were talking about, like, yeah. We're, and then, yeah, and then these two P.I.s, they end up involved in this whole big drug trade thing and... Yeah, it was a web series. It could have been a feature. I think we were talking about maybe even making yeah. a feature at one point. And because I because I, I I had a hand in the writing it. There was a, there was a love story. Yeah, a, a love story. Who? Yeah. With their secretary. Yeah, there's the secretary. Yeah, secretary. we went film noir with like this PI has always got to have a hot secretary, and you were like, let's bring in this geeky girl who identifies with one of them really well, and they have their. She, she was an improv actress. Who was it? Do you remember? Oh, who, who was going to play the girl? Yeah, do you remember? I believe it was uh, a wonderful actress named Farron Kelly. Yeah, man. Yeah. And Clopping was supposed to play the, the, the straight guy. Yeah. Like the straight of the guy of the two. And then Ricky was supposed to play the crazy rigs of the two. Yeah. So that was our story. Um, and that is... The Cholo episode. I'm remembering shit. <laughs> like these guys are... He's having flashbacks. These like guys numb. are supposed to be whiter than white. And then one has to go undercover as a Cholo. Yeah. To a gangster party and like the patio and shit, and then I remember he was like dressed like a cholo and like get in with them at the party, and then at some point he just gets so into it he's dead. He's like I'm having the time of my life. <laughs> like I remember that shit. Yeah, and, and it that probably is, sounds fucking horrible the way I'm explaining. It, it. does actually, <laughs> but it was funny but to us. It was, it was, and that's the power of collaboration. Actually, <laughs> um, that's. I mean, I that was that was my only. Uh, I had one more experience of co-writing. Mm-hmm. And it was it was it was okay. It just, 
Um, it was okay. It wasn't bad. I, I tend to feel like I play better by myself. Yeah. Than with a co-writer. Yeah. But I think there are many benefits of having a co-writer. Yeah. Um, we bounced ideas back and forth off each other. We, You took a majority of the writing duties because I was going to take a majority of the directing duties. Yeah. But I did have a hand in because you weren't too keen on the action stuff and the... And the mystery angle of it. I had not learned how to write it yet. (laughs) So I I had had a hand in that. And then I was going to do a bulk of the directing, but you wanted to direct a couple of the episodes, especially the love interest episodes. Yeah. There was one episode that was supposed to just mainly be the guy and the girl on a date or something, and you were supposed to direct that one. I remember that. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I guess collaboration can work. I mean, I wish we would have done it. Um, It's it's a weird thing when you collaborate, though. I feel like with... I feel like... It changes with every writer. Um, if you take a look at Wes Anderson and like Wes Anderson, his pictures, um, he started off with Owen Owen Wilson, his first three movies, and they have a certain feel to them. Bottle Rocket, Rushmore, and the Tenenbaums. They, I don't know. They, it's a, it's a very mischievous feel, which Wes Anderson has never really captured again. And then you take a look at, um, you take a look at um, the Life Aquatic and. And um, the fantastic Mr. Fox that he wrote with Noah Baumbach, and there's this wonderful, almost this magical quality to them. Very different and magical. I mean, those are the only two movies that Wes Anderson relied heavily on claymation. Mm-hmm. And then you take a look at the stuff he's written with Roman Coppola, and those have a slightly off kilter feeling to him too. Um, his latest one, um. um I'm sorry, Grand Grand Budapest Hotel, he actually wrote on his own for the first time. So that was very interesting to see. Really? Yeah. Um, I'm told most of the people who have a co-writer tend to do it not to be lonely. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Because writing can be a bit of a lonely game. Yeah. Which is why we kind of do it together. Stephen King said it, and I I love using this quote. He said it in his book, On Writing. And I believe it to be true. Um, it happened many times with uh, my girlfriend and I uh, living together. Um, I'd be in the living room writing, and I'd be up late. She goes a bit early. Um, she would constantly just get up late just to make sure I was okay, just check on me, which I always liked, um, and tell me to go to bed. <laughs> but uh, Stephen King says it best when he, he said um, in his book on writing, he said, writing can be the loneliest job, loneliest job on earth. And having someone is a great feeling in the world. They don't have to make speeches, but being there is enough. And when I'm doing, like, dude, that, that is always, like, walked around with me. Like, you know, it'd be great to have a, a life partner that's also, like, a collaborator. But if not, the next, absolute next best thing is just having someone that's just there. Well, your girlfriend, Tabitha, is a writer, too. Yeah. Do you guys think you ever collaborate? We talk about it, yeah. Not to put you on the spot, right? <laughs> no, fine. no we, we talk about it, and oh, one of my favorite things about her is, um, out of nowhere, she'll, like, even something, it's happened a few times in the middle of the night, I'll be in the living room watching TV, and she'd come out and say, I have an idea, picture this. <laughs> and she'll pitch me an idea, I was like, fuck, that's awesome. So, yeah, I'm sure at some point we'll probably write something together. Cool. No, that's, that's really cool about you and Tabitha. I hope that you guys, like, if a kid ever enters a picture, uh-huh. <laughs> that he ends, that he or she ends up a little writer. Well, that'd be awesome. <laughs> and also a curse. <laughs> I wouldn't wish that life upon anybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
like we said, once again, it's a good life. <laughs> it's a good life. We just wish we're just hoping to get paid for it soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think I think there have been times where getting back to the co-writer thing. I think there have been times where, um, like I said, I think there was that balance that worked for um, when we collaborated. There was a great balance because you were going to do majority of the writing, and I was going to do majority of the directing, and then trade a little bit. So I think that's how that worked, and there was a lot of input from both of us on the story and whatnot. Um, so I think there's been times I think I've actually like, why don't we do that again? Because it's true, I think you're the only person I ever really had, um, um, I gelled with in terms of writing something. But again, I think it's because we split the responsibilities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wish we could have done it, but I mean, luckily we both, both have been fortunate enough to take on our own movies separately that we wrote and directed. Because um, yeah. it's kind of weird because, like we talked about, you're, you're, you're writing alone for the most part, yeah. unless we have a writing buddy or a co-writer, right. and you're stuck in this room, and, and, and like Woody Allen, I know, does two hours a day. I believe Frank Darabont does, when he's working on a script, he does maybe 18 hours a day. Shit. So Does he just, really? He does. Fuck, but that's why he's Frank Darabont. And that's why he doesn't do very many movies. Yeah. He works, so they take forever. Well, it's a weird thing, is that I, I used to believe that, you know, writing, you only did one draft and that was it. But now it's like after, I, I read an interview with David O. Russell, who, him himself, he also has a, a new way of writing for him. He will go out into a garden and write and or talk about it with the actors and just start spitballing ideas and he'll put it all on the page. Mm. Anyway, I found out that when he made the Silver Lining Wait, playbook... Wait, that's, that's, like, before it's written? or is That's that the while he's writing. While he's writing? Yes. So he knows who's casting. And look look at his last couple yeah, movies. Yeah, his last couple yeah. movies all the same this, this, is, this is, like, this is so, like the David Russell now, the, the, the one in his prime, actually. Okay, so he'll know, he knows who he's casting. He'll bounce ideas off them and then... Yeah. He, he, he wrote a good majority. I, I want to say he wrote a good majority of American Hustle in, a, in, in Christian Bale's Garden. Oh, shit. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, but for the Silver Lining Playbook, I had heard that he did 20 drafts. And that's another thing. That's another thing that just set me off with, like, whoa, if I want to make a movie that good, which I do, mm -hmm. I will have to do 20 drafts mm -hmm. and just put a lot more work into it. Um, I was also inspired by something that James Gunn said about Guardians of the Galaxy, um, about just new, about doing numerous drafts and, and finding the voice of it is, um, of, is he said that at some point in the writing of Guardians of the Galaxy... Star-Lord's dad was in the third act. Yeah. And he, felt, he he said it felt off, and he was like, fuck the third act. This isn't it. Mm -hmm. Took out Star-Lord's dad and started a whole new part of the story, and that was mind-blowing for me also, because it's like, whoa, you did that in the third act, but you, you had it ready, had it written? So what you're writing, I mean, you don't have to... It doesn't have to be set in stone. You can. We're not cavemen. We can erase shit. We have computers. We can delete. Yeah. We can do all of that. So that, that was a big part of it, too, for me. That blew my mind. Um, but yeah, like I was so, 20 drafts is a lot to do. And you do a lot of it alone. And if you do write every day, that's like two hours of your, of your life that you're just sitting there in like this fantasy world. Yeah. And the weird thing is, you, you, you take that and you, you, you cast actors and you get a cinematographer and you invite a bunch of people to come and help you put your something that was just on the page, something that was in your mind that came from your heart and you invite a bunch of people to come play and be a part of this world with you. Yeah. Um, how do you deal with that? How do I deal with that? Yeah. Well, like, do you, like... I love being on set, dude. 
Like, it's fun. Yeah, I love being on set. That's probably my favorite part. My favorite part of the whole filmmaking thing is. I mean, I enjoy a bit of writing, pre-production, production, and post-production. I enjoy a bit of everything. Um, but if I had to pick one favorite, it would definitely be production. Like I love being on set, and I have frequent collaborators. Um, Shannon does my makeup effects. She's usually the first person I talk to about a project. If I have an idea and start messing with it, she's usually the first person I talk to. Apart from you, <laughs> um, and just about like um, you know creations like uh, creatures or entities or whatever, villain or blood splat or something. Like I usually refer to her first, and she's so much fun on set. Um, my script supervisor is an aspiring writer, Molly. She's really awesome. I love being on set with her. Um, Billy, she's usually been my first AD. Um, I've had a few different sound people, but like you know, I have key people. I guess when you audition, do you? Do you do you base it off the script, or do you, do you go in seeing the character in your mind? I rarely audition people. Like, I mean, I'll have the character in my head, um, but usually I end up like casting people I know because I know I want to see them. So do, do you it. write for them? Sometimes, sometimes I'll write something, and I'll have I'll have one person in mind, and I'll end up going to somebody else completely. Mm -hmm. You know, like when I wrote. Um, Edgewood Drive, for example. Well, I don't know if anyone's going to know what I'm talking about. When I wrote Edgewood Drive, I had no idea who was going to play, um, not Ricky's part, but Brad's part. Mm -hmm. The it, it seems like the antagonist of the movie. I had no idea who was going to play that role. And I ended up seeing Brad in your film, thought he was awesome, talked to him about it, and just off the conversation, I totally knew he would rock the part. And he did. And he did. And... You know, so, I mean, I, I rarely audition people. It's usually through um, referral or just I'll see them in something and I'll want to work with them or I'll know them. And usually, I like, I, one of my favorite things is having actors play against type. That's one of my favorite things. Either I'll have them do something that they're good at or I'll have them play totally against type, which is, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. So. For me, I... I I do audition sometimes. Sometimes I'll write um, for a specific actor. Um, I'd like to do that. I'd like the I'd like the idea of having an ensemble already at my at my fingertips. Oh yeah. But when it doesn't work, you know, I, I have there's no shame in going to LA casting or mm -hmm. some website and looking for people. And that's really exciting too, because there's I don't know there's just something exciting about about looking through the pictures of the actors. It's fun, yeah. interesting. It's, it's it's when you see somebody who it just based off the pictures fits who you have in your mind, it almost it almost becomes like, I want this person to be in the movie so yeah. bad. And yeah. when I meet them, I, I it's almost like a date. Yeah. You're kind of like, I hope this person is as cool as they seem in pictures and they're real. I hope that, I hope that they live up to it because if they don't, I'm going to be slightly disappointed. You, like, you're saying everything I'm thinking. I just don't know how to fucking word it, but you're saying it brilliantly, sir. <laughs> like, everything you're saying, I'm like, I'm nodding my head like, yeah, why didn't I say that? Did we just become best friends? Yep. 11 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. No, I totally agree because I, I don't, I think you've auditioned way more people than I have mm -hmm. because I tend to work with a lot of the same actors because I like them. We're at a point where it's like we're comfortable with each other, et cetera, et cetera. When I did um, Boogeyman, we had to audition people because no one I knew matched any of the roles that I needed, my three lead characters. So we had to scout the earth and do LA casting, casting central, all that stuff. And Audition actors, and that was, yeah, you're right. Like, and it was kind of like just searching their 
pictures and like I could totally see that person. I totally see that person. I don't see that. They don't look like they're right for it. And then auditioning them to see what they can do is kind of like you're right. It's actually like a first date. It's like let me get to know you. Let me see what you're capable of. Let's see revive. You know, and the particular reason I love working with people that I already know and have an established relationship with is because, I don't know, being on set is like, it's like friends getting together and fucking doing summer camp. Well, we yeah, have fun, definitely. dude. I mean, with my sets, it's like, we're making horror films, it's fun. Like, we have such a fucking blast, and we all hang out offset too, and like, you know, pretty much the people I make films with are the people I hang out with. You know, those are, those are my core people, and um, when it's with the actors, it's great to already have an established relationship. You see, I think that's one of the things that separates us, uh, again, is that, um, or one of the differences, is that I do use some of the same actors again, mm -hmm. but I try to put them in different parts than I had them in before. Mm -hmm. I usually always try to look for a new lead actor, because, I mean, essentially they're kind of playing sur surrogate versions of me, uh -huh. so I can't cast the same, the same lead over again. Gotcha. Or else it would just look like a similar movie. Yeah. Well, see, I won't cast the same female as a victim every time, either. Yeah. Try not to, anyway. You mentioned Boogeyman, which is... We won't go into the dollar baby aspects, because that, that, that could take up a bit. Yeah. But Mondo basically adapted a Stephen King short, short story. Mm -hmm. um, how did it differ from actually writing your own material, adapting? It's like someone already outlined the script for me, basically. Um, it was a short story, so it was, easy to, it was easier to adapt than I could imagine a feature would. But even then, there were things I had to cut out that weren't, you know. And um, so basically, someone had done all the groundwork for me. Mm -hmm. um, they had done, they had the beginning, the middle, the end, the conflict, the characters. It was all there. I just had to find a way to translate it. So, and I was pretty faithful to the book, but I also had to find... There were certain things that didn't work because it was written back in the 70s and us in modern day now, like a lot of the things wouldn't work, a lot of the phrases, a lot of just different things wouldn't work. So I had to find a way to translate it to now, for one. For two, um, I had to find a way to put myself in it, like the things that I like, my style. Mm -hmm. So I had to, I did that as well. So I got to fill in blanks with me personally, the stuff I like. And then I got to... The boogeyman itself, I got to design what he looked like and work with Shannon on effects and all that kind of stuff. So, um, well, I'm getting into the directing aspect now. But, yeah, just basically in a nutshell, the writing of it, it was, it was, it wasn't easy, but it wasn't so difficult. Because it's easy in the sense that all your groundwork is done for you. Your characters are there, your conflict's there, it's all there. The hard part is figuring out how to make it work. And how to make it work for you. Did you take dialogue from the book? Or I, I took a lot of the dialogue straight from the book because the Boogeyman's story is just two little story is just literally two people talking in a room, so it's all dialogue for the most part. So I took a lot of that dialogue. I tweaked some of it to make it sound how I felt. I, I felt it sound better, so I tweaked some of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, because like it's like that Stephen King. Yeah, well, it's like it said like it was in the '70s, so there were a lot of phrases, phrases and stuff that just didn't work um so it was like yo fly honey let's get out of here and boogie woogie to the disco yeah pretty much see some balls and lights yeah so. let's go down to the drive-in <laughs> no it just seems that didn't work there were racial slurs in there that were maybe apparently more appropriate for that time because that's how people were i don't know because that shit was going on at the time 
And, you know, like, there's just things that just didn't work, I felt. And, like I said, it's my version of that story. Yeah. So I had to make it work for me and for people in general. So, like I said, like, it's like your groundwork's done, but you just got to translate it and find a way to make it work. Yeah. So, it, it was a fun process, though. I did, like, it took several drafts to get it right, though. I've been considering um, adapting something just for fun. Just because just I want to know how to do it. Mm -hmm. um, one of my dream projects is to adapt the Nick Hornby book to write, to do the adaptation and make the movie. Because I am, once again, a writer-director mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, to adapt um, the Nick Hornby book, Juliet Naked. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been thinking about just for fun as exercise, just adapting some book. Um, yeah. Those YA novels I hear are very popular these days, so maybe <laughs> one of those. Those young adult novels? Yeah, young adult novels. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it'd be great to adapt and make one. Um, at one point on set, do you fi do you fire the writer when you're on set? A little bit, yeah, because I mean that's what's so great about table reads. Also, is sometimes an actor will have an idea about a line on like how to deliver it, and not so much how they deliver it, but maybe even that'll involve maybe changing lines, changing it around, rephrasing it. And there's a part of me that's like, well, I wrote this, you know. But I've, as a director, I will, you know, I'm an, I'm an actor too. So, I mean, I got that actor-director thing going where I like to work with whatever, whatever the actors feel more natural. Like, if it sounds better. Like, I'm okay with someone having an idea that's better than mine. It's sounding better. And I'm, I will go with it because at the end of the day, it's what's in best interest for the film, not my ego. <laughs> do you have a certain true. <laughs> do you have a certain rhythm in your head of the dialogue that you would like the actors to replicate or do you let them feel their own things it depends on the scene like there are certain times where I think there's a certain beat it has to go a certain beat has to go um, and I think I've changed over the years because before yeah I did need like I wanted to hear, to hear things exactly how I wrote them exactly how they should sound in my, my, in my head but over the years, I've seen that that might not be the way to go. So I go with whatever the vibe is, whatever we're feeling, mm -hmm. whatever the actors are feeling, because that tends to lend better to what I had in mind. Because, you know, you can write something a year. I mean, has it ever happened to you? You wrote something, like, months ago, and then you're on set doing it. You're like, that's not what I had in mind at all. This isn't working. Like, has that ever happened to you? You know what's weird? Maybe not to that degree, but, like, something along those lines. It's, it's weird because... Yeah, like I said, I, I think I'm a better writer than a director, although I, I feel like I'm improving on directing, so maybe one day, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be able to match them together. Um, mm -hmm. But I feel like when I get on set, I forget about the script. Hmm. I don't think about what lines. Uh, like, I won't, if somebody fucks up a line, mm -hmm. or flubs one, or forgets a line, or puts in a word incorrectly, I, really, I won't really notice. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess once we're, once... Once I'm there, I just want to know that it's honest and that the emotion is right. Yeah. And that it's funny. Yeah. Um, so I, and I, I also feel like once the actor takes over the script, it belongs to them. Mm -hmm. So I will try to hit notes that they should and give them direction in that way. But... You're about guiding the vibe, right? Guiding the vibe. But guide, if, if, guiding it, yeah. if it's different than what I expected then that's just what the actor brought to it. And I'm, I'm not going to feed them a line, and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not going to go out of my way to, to, to 
get them to get it right. Mm-hmm. Because it's what's in them. It's what they're capable of. It's them hopefully being honest. And just as long as they're honest, even if the words aren't right or it's not the way I heard it in my head or even if it's not the way I felt it should be, mm-hmm. it becomes its own thing. If that makes sense. No, no, I got you. Yeah. Okay. No, that's like the same thing with me. It's like, like I was saying, like, I like to work with the actors and, like, you know, find a way whenever they feel is better, more comfortable. Like, it, as long as it sounds better and it works for what we're trying to accomplish, then I'm all about it. I'm totally gung-ho. There might be specific scenes where, I'm like, there's something specific I have in mind, and I'll, I'll usually explain it, and then we'll find it along the way. But, yeah, there have been times in the past where I would have to word line feed because I didn't know any better, <laughs> you know? Um... And then there's always a third rewrite, or uh, the last rewrite, which is post. Yeah. Um, I was recently working on a scene with, um, wow, he's been mentioned before, Gabriel Diaz, our wonderful editor. Me and Mondo share the same editor. Share him. He's like, he's like our mistress in a relationship. Yeah. Like we both <laughs> he, cheat on each other with him. He's the finger cuff in our he's finger. The finger. <laughs> I don't know. No, he's the cuffs in our finger cuffs. Yeah, we're just trapped. You and I'm a finger, you're a finger, he's the cuff. He's the cuffs. <laughs> And he looks like Joe Pesci. <laughs> um, he doesn't. But, Joe Pesci um, now or Home Joe Alone Joe Pesci? The prime Home Alone. Good, good, good fellas Joe Pesci or Home Alone? Super, super, yeah, Joe, super Pesci. Joe Pesci or Home Alone Joe Pesci? Uh, um, but yeah, um, we were working on a scene together and um, the actor, um, their, their vibes were, were different. Um, the inflection of the actor's voice was different from take to take. And um, it the performance when it was done was the there was some some of the emotion was there, but the technique and it didn't really match. So in one take you would see the actor, and that person would um, be talking loud, mm-hmm. and another take it'd be very quiet. Mm-hmm. So we pretty much had to do kind of almost a rewrite and figure out the exact spot in the dialogue where the actor's voice can go up. So we basically huh. edited the scene based off the actor. Is, does that make sense? No, I got you. So we, we kept them, we kept the actor in a close-up, in a two-shot, and the, her, her, uh, the actor's voice was, 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 was more quiet. We found a line in the script where the actor says, well, you can't be doing this. And we went to the close-up of that actor for that. So it would make sense that the voice rised up right there. Gotcha. And we just kept it in there. And to yeah. me, that's also a way of finding the flow. While editing is like the final rewrite of a script. Yeah. Like, even, even simple things like a scene that has an actress walking out of, 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 a, of a bookstore, we just cut out completely and it doesn't, doesn't affect the story at all. Mm-hmm. And there's been other times when you've watched my stuff and you were like, this scene doesn't work. So we cut it out and... It worked in the script, and it, it worked in that aspect, but once we get in the editor room, it's just, we can cut it out, and it doesn't affect the story, really. It's final rewrite, final yeah. countdown. How's editing for you? Um, no, I feel the same way. I, I love the editing process, because you get to see what you did come to life. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah, you're right, you get to rewrite some things and move things around, which is a great thing, because sometimes you'll shoot something in a particular order, and it won't make sense. And the only way to make make have it make sense is you got to go out of sequence, and that's insane how that can happen. Like it's amazing what one cut can do, what trim can do. Like it's it's mind blowing how much an entire 
film can change with a couple frames cut out or a, or a line cut out. So it's really interesting to see it like all come together and what it is and what it could be. That's what they say ruins a movie sometimes is like cutting too much out. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, like you try to make one thing, it's supposed to be some, a certain way. And then when you cut it and try to make it something else, it doesn't work. The great thing about editing is um, you take a look at this podcast. Yeah. We've been going on for a little bit, which, I mean, when the listener listens to it, it could be, it could be shorter. There could be things yeah. that we said that was cut out completely. James is going to cut it down to ten minutes. Yeah, it's going to be totally gone. We've been talking for it's five be, hours. Hi, Mondo. <laughs> hi, hi Paul. Paul. Thanks for joining us. See you next week. See you next time. <laughs> uh, I guess... With that being said, we should probably end it in a, in a few in a few minutes. But before we do, I'd like to take the time to um, to just mention. Um, do you know how? Do you know about Preston Sturges? Preston Sturges. Yes. No. Preston Sturges was a writer director in the '30s. Um, before him, there was Frank Capra. And um, a couple of uh, Frank Capra, who was awesome. It's a yeah. Wonderful Life. Like I think I've mentioned before, it's one of my favorite movies. And I really admire Capra. And he was a writer-director also. But the thing that makes Sturgis stands out is that Preston Sturgis went from being a screenwriter to a director. Hmm. He was like one of the first people to kind of shake that up in the, in the Hollywood studio. Really? Yeah. Um, he actually, what he did was... Um, he sold a script, I believe it's a Great McGinty. He sold it to um, Warner Brothers, I believe, for a dollar. In exchange to direct the movie. Hmm. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. So, whatever I think about the idea of writer-directors, I kind of think of him. Um, he, I guess, I, I just watched the movie that he made recently, Sullivan's Travels, which is a great movie about a, a writer-director. Um who does comedy who does comedy movies but it, but it's during the depression and he mm-hmm. wants to do a movie about how real life is and about misery and pain and and, and going through going through the great depression mm-hmm. and um it, it, the studio executives are like well you can't do this because you you've you've been privileged you've been writing movies for us since you were in your 20s and yeah. you don't know anything about suffering you live in a beautiful mansion in hollywood so he sets out to be a bum for two weeks to get the experience of, um, to get some personal experience of being, of living life poor and get the personal experience it's of It's like Mel Brooks movie, Life Stinks. Yeah. <laughs> Who was another writer-director for yeah. the most part. Um, but yeah, so I feel, I feel like we just owe, not like, a, we just owe a bit to Preston Sturges, so... Sturges, we salute you. I feel like the final, like the the best storyteller is like the writer and director because who else to bring your vision to life than the writer? Mm-hmm. It's come, you know, you created a world and you're gonna bring it to life. So it's you. I, I really admire writer and directors to do that. I mean, there are some directors that just get a grasp of the material and they just knock it out. Some screenwriters go hand in hand with their directors. There are there are writing, directing teams where one writes, one directs. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam Wingard directed Your Next and Horrible Way to Die and The Guest. Simon Barrett wrote all three of those movies. So it's like he's got a writer, you know, and yeah. there's a writer and there's a director. James Wan saw Insidious, you know, he directs, Lee Wan L writes. 
like it was a Saw, Dead Silence, and Insidious, and Insidious 2. Four movies together. They got one writing, one directing. They both did the story. They got one writing, one directing. So with that being said, that those are, those, are some, those are some powerful horror people right now. Yeah. What makes you sit down in front of a computer, in, a, in front of a blank page, and write a story? Why do you do that as opposed to get finding a script and doing it yourself? What motivates you? Because... Where's your motivation? <laughs> Sorry, go on. No. Um, I just honestly feel like there are... I'm selfish. I'm very selfish. I want to see... There are movies that I want to see that no one's going to make, so I have to make them. You know? Like, there's there's stuff I want to see, like... And the stuff I want to see is blends of all sorts of different things put together that usually have no business going together. Like I said, who would make a psychological thriller, which I love, out of a zombie movie? Yeah. Like, that just doesn't happen. So, just being like, I want to make the movies that I want to see. I'm a big movie lover. I love everything. My... My movie watch list, my queue on Netflix is like my playlist on my iPod. Does not make any fucking sense. Because I will, like, I watch everything. I'm just a movie lover. I'll watch, you know, I'll watch Finding Nemo, and then I'll watch Silence of the Lambs. You know, like, I watch everything. I love everything. I just happen to identify with the thriller genre, the thriller, suspense, horror genre. That just happens to be what I love, because I grew up a frightened, fragile, timid little child. So I want to tell scary movies. I feel those are entertaining. They're fun to make. They're entertaining as all hell. And people love them. They're the perfect date movie. (laughs) No, it's true. Like, they're the perfect date movie. There is no movie better to watch with a crowd than a horror movie. You know, like, it's it's totally, it, it evokes the audience. Yeah. You know, in a way that no other film can. Suspense and, and horror, like... Like, putting the people together in a room and watching those, like, you, you won't get a movie. Uh, apart from comedy, which, you know, it'll make you laugh. Yeah. But this will make you cringe and get you closer to the person next to you or make you paranoid. So you can cop a feel if you're on a date. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> get to know for next time when a girl actually goes out with me. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's what does Because, like, I make the movies that I want to see, and I like keeping people entertained. I like telling stories. You see, I write my own movies and I make them I write them because I I, I have things I want to say yeah. and things that are just on my mind and like I said these characters sometimes would just appear out of nowhere and just start talking or so much or something happens in my life and I don't know how to deal with it or you know what I get a lot from people mm-hmm. I, I explain a story to somebody something that happened to me and I get oh that sounds like a movie you should, you should write about that yeah. so I go and write it but because I, it's personal, it's coming for me. I feel like I can't hand it off to somebody. I've done that once, yeah. and it, was, it wasn't a great experience. Um, so I feel like, you know, I have to... I'm a, I, I've gotten better, but I'm a bit of a introvert, I guess. Mm-hmm. I'm a bit nervous, but I've gotten more commanding and more better as the years have gone by. But that's part of the reason why I get up. I, I will wake my ass up at 6 a.m., to have crew members come into my life and come into my house and deal with people mm-hmm. <laughs> and and tell a story because because I don't want to hand it off to anybody. I don't want to 
I don't want to give my story to somebody. I don't want somebody to direct. You're the only person who have ever let direct anything I've written, and it's because I was partly because I was in the movie. I was in the short myself. Like it was this short-lived web series I tried to do. Where I tried to make myself Larry David. Yeah, we only did a pilot. <laughs> we only did a pilot. Um, check it out on YouTube if you have a chance. It's called Paul and Single Land. Just type it in. You should um, find it. Um, See see how I look. <laughs> uh, this was me in my prime, actually, like six years ago. But check it out if we have a chance. Um, but that's why I do it, and I think that's why Mondo does. Mondo just explained why he does it, and it is a great thing. And I we both have been writing for more than half our lives now. Yeah. And I think we're getting serious, and hopefully soon all of this madness will go somewhere. Yeah. We're we're very imaginative people. We're very driven people. But we're driven in different ways. Like, you're driven by things that are more personal. Like, our, our films are personal to us, but in a different way. Yours are personal because of it's internally personal. Like, you know, it's the, the love stories, the, the relationship aspect, the hopeless romantic stuff. And then the quirky comedy, comedic stuff that you like. Um, I am just fascinated by the strange and the macabre and the strange. And I'm fascinated by the darker side of things. And that's what I want to explore. That's what I want to see. I wouldn't wish horrible things upon anyone I cared about and loved, but you can't help but be fascinated by, yeah. you know, danger and terror. You know, it's a fascinating thing. It's awesome. It's it's. And great. that's what drives me to it. It's like, I want to see that, you know. Um, I was talking to James about it when I was on the podcast. Like, we as a society have an obsession with danger. Um, no, but no. I'm just saying. Let's say, let's say uh, you're at a restaurant and someone had driven their car through that same restaurant an hour after you had left. Yeah. And someone, someone always would say, "Imagine if you were still there." <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like people do that. Yeah. Right. And it's because we as a society have a fascination with danger and terror. Yeah. You know, same reason how everyone on the freeway has to turn and look at a car accident. Yeah. We're fascinated by the dark side. Which always annoys me because yeah. because you end up in more traffic. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, but, but, no, but you get what I mean, right? Yeah, I do. Like, it's, I just, do. it's a fascinating subject matter yeah. that I love to explore. And, like, I, I'm terrified of it, but it's intriguing. Yeah. And I guess with that, we'll just say, if you want to do this, if you want to write and direct, then just find what intrigues you, what fascinates you. Yeah. What drives you? Find little stories in your life and just sit down in front of the computer or do it the Quentin Tarantino way and write it um, longhand. Yeah. I, I, I've written like that. Mondo has too. And it's a great feeling. Um, just put pen to paper or your fingers to a keyboard. When I not... still put pen to paper, man. Yeah. Like I mean, I don't literally write my script that way, but I will outline like crazy. Like I'll write notes. I'll draw pictures. People have different ways of interpreting ideas. Some people... Um, I've been doing this more lately. I will create a soundtrack for the movie I'm writing. Oh, cool. I've, I've like, done that too, actually. Yeah, like make a playlist. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like the soundtrack of the movie I'm trying to make. Like yeah. the songs that would fit it, you know. So there, there's that. It's just, you know, you, you find what inspires you. You find what drives you. And that, I mean, it could be anything. Like I said, like, it doesn't necessarily have to be super personal about yeah. you, it just could be something that fascinates you that you want to talk about. Yeah, just find whatever it is and sit down and write it. I guess so. <laughs> just because it's it's a it's it's a show about writer directors. I'll end it off with a quote from a film written by a writer director. Um, 
a writer and co-director, Wes Anderson, um, from the movie Rushmore. Max Fisher says it um, to Bill Murray's character, Mr. Bloom. Um, Mr. Bloom's like, what's the secret, Max? And Max looks at him and he says, well, you gotta find what you love doing and do it forever. For me, it's going to Rushmore. So find your Rushmore and do it. And I guess we've been babbling on for a really <laughs> long time. Um, which, <laughs> In the words of Hitchcock, make the audience suffer as much as possible. <laughs> Hopefully you didn't suffer that much. I think we're pretty cool. I think we're amazing people yeah, tonight. I would go amazing, but we're, we're pretty cool. Don't sell yourself short, Paul. We're amazing. We're amazing. We're Fuck amazing. Yeah. Um, so this is Paul Garcia signing off for James, who will hopefully be back next week, so you won't have to suffer again. I might be back next week. Who knows? Um, and I may not be back next week, but maybe eventually I'll be back again. Yeah. So it's Paul Garcia signing off. This is Mondo Franco, Mondo Franco signing off. Good night and good luck. Good evening. <laughs>